Thank you, choir, musicians, soloists, the band, for leading us in our wonderful time of worship. Boy, uh, that anthem uh, just really sets the stage. We draw nearer to the Father, to the Father God. It sets the stage for what we're talking about today, and that is intimacy with God. Intimacy uh, with God. That's, a, that's the study that you will be engaged in today uh, in your life groups, whether you're going to be live or whether you're going to be meeting uh, by Zoom. And uh, it's a great, great study because it uh, helps us in our spiritual discipline series. We're in that series on spiritual disciplines, growing more like Jesus. And so growing more like Jesus, one of the things we recognize is he had a deep abiding intimacy with God the Father. Now, your lesson today is going to focus on John 17. It's that great high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's actually what we would want to call, should call, the Lord's Prayer, uh, that great high priestly prayer. And in that prayer, you ought to see and experience uh, the intimacy that Jesus has with God the Father and how that comes out in that study. And I, as I went through that lesson earlier, I just said, you know, I don't think there's any way I can improve upon that or come another direction and deal with John 17. So I decided to go a different route, but hopefully uh, connect us into this whole concept about intimacy with God and growing in our spiritual disciplines and growing in our faith and talk about some of these spiritual disciplines that we might need to incorporate into our life or maybe make a uh, do a better job of that. So when we're talking about intimacy, intimacy with God or intimacy with anybody, we're really talking about being connected. Now, in the past, it used to be that when we talked about somebody was connected, it meant that he or she had the right contacts who knew the right people in order to get the right results. You know, whether that was maybe getting a, a traffic ticket fixed or uh, maybe the right person to help you with a business tip on getting that, that deal, that big deal closed, or the right tip for the stock market, or some kind of way that they could uh, help you. So when we talk today and we say he or she is well connected, that means that they know the right people to make the right contacts to get the right results. Now, in the concept of being connected, today we've even carried it into the life of the church. I don't know of any church that calls them guest registration cards anymore. What do we call them? Contact cards, right? Whether you, we have one literally paper printed out or whether you do it online. It's a, con, it's a, con, a connect card is what it's talking about. It's a connect card that we want you to connect with us. We want to connect with you. We want to be connected with you. And so when we're talking today about being connected, we're talking about being in intimate relationship with God the Father. And so, in the series of messages, we've been talking about how we use our spiritual disciplines, how that helps us grow and to be better disciples of Christ. And today we're going to hear the scripture that urges us to be connected with God through Jesus Christ and then takes us a little bit deeper into that relationship so that I hope you understand that's how then we will grow into that intimate relationship with God and be connected unto him. So the passage of scripture that I've chosen is out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And uh, it talks to us about several things in here, about prayer, about how we live our life, and about Christ being the one mediator. But it leads us into talking about this intimacy with God and being connected. So Paul writes and says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. 
for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. Now, several things are said here in this passage. We're called upon to pray, to pray for our leaders. And this is a time for us to pray for our leaders in our nation and around the world. It also talks about the fact that in the spiritual disciplines that we live and we grow more like Christ, and one of them being prayer, then that helps us to live a peaceful and quiet godly life with all godliness and holiness. And we're told that that's good. That's what spiritual disciplines do. They help us to grow in that direction that God will look upon as we grow in godliness and say, that's good. And then there's the affirmation of the fact that God wants everyone to be saved. That God our Savior wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of of the truth, and then he tells us how that takes place. That there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. And we would say all mankind is included in that word. So we're challenged today to be thinking about our intimacy with God, and that is being connected with Jesus Christ. Let me just mention. Three things quickly today. I hope you can take these home uh, and apply them in your life. Number one, you, you begin that intimacy with God when you establish your connection with God by trusting Jesus as your Savior. Now, I'm going to add something to that in the third point. But, but we begin right there. If you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to have a, a, an intimate relationship with God, then you do so by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Being connected to God is our greatest need. But at the same time, because God is awesome, because he is holy, because he is majestic and powerful and righteous and pure, I think sometimes we're frightened by that and we think there's no way that I can have an intimate relationship on that level. We're just not in his league is a way to put that. Many, many years ago, and maybe what is the oldest book in the Bible, the, uh, an oldest character to talk, is Job. And Job understood many, many years ago, we all need some kind of mediator to stand between us and God. In Job 9, he makes an amazing observation. How can a mortal be righteous before God? That's a great question for us to ask. How can a mortal, that's you, and me. And what do we know about us and our life? We're sinful. And God is holy and righteous. So how can a mortal be righteous before God? He is not a man like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to arbitrate between us to lay his hand upon us both. You see, Job knew that God was out of his league and on his own. He could not stand before God. 
He knew that he needed an arbitrator, a mediator, somebody to stand between him and God. And that's what Paul affirmed that Jesus is in verse 5 of our text for today. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. Now that leads us in this message about intimacy with God for us to affirm two life-changing truths. The best two life-changing truths I think you can ever learn. The first is this, you can know God personally. You can know God personally. See, this holy, powerful, wise, righteous, creative, awesome God wants you to know him personally. We are created to have fellowship with God. That's why God created us. After he had created everything in the world and he saw that it was good, he put mankind into this world. And for one reason is because he wanted to have fellowship. He wanted to have a relationship. And that's why we are here, to live in relationship with God. Now, there are some people who scoff at that idea of God and they say, I I don't believe in God. In fact, in Psalm 53, 1, the scripture says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And it's also quoted again in Psalm 14. How foolish it is to say uh, that there is no God. Now, when we understand the Hebrew language, uh, that it's it really it's describing somebody who says, no God, N-O, God, no God. Now, how do we understand that? Well, Suppose you've been invited to go to some friends' homes and now the COVID thing has lifted a little bit. You've had your vaccination maybe. And you go to somebody's house and you have a, a very delicious meal. And, and you're stuffed to the gills. And somebody then, they come out and they offer you dessert. And you say, no dessert. What are you saying? No dessert for me. So the translation here of the Hebrew is when somebody says, there is no God. They're simply saying there is no God for me. I don't believe in God is what they're saying. But at this point, God breaks through to us and he says, yes, there is. I am and I want that relationship with you so deeply that I've sent Jesus Christ for you that you can have that relationship with me. I think one of the, one of the images that stays in my mind about how God wants that relationship with us is the picture of Michelangelo painted on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And we see the picture where, uh, hopefully we've got the other picture here. Where, yeah, there it is. Where God is reaching out with his hand to touch the finger of Adam, mankind. And that is certainly indicating to us that God has reached out to us through all eternity. From the beginning of time to establish, to create and maintain a relationship with us. This holy, majestic, powerful God wants a relationship with you, and you can have a personal relationship with God. Then the second truth is this, that Jesus is the only way to know God personally. You know, the the Apostle Paul makes that so clear in verse 5. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. 
So in our postmodern culture and society of today, there was, there was that, that, that teaching and that feeling and that concept that is too exclusive to say that there's only one way to God. And so the culture in which we live today would say to you, there are many different ways that you can get to heaven and many different ways you can have a relationship with God. But the Bible, the Word of God, makes it very, very clear that Jesus is the only way. The Bible doesn't say to us that Jesus is one way to having a relationship with God. The Bible doesn't even say to us that Jesus is the best way to have a relationship with God. But the Bible tells us that Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. See, if you want intimacy with God, and if you crave intimacy with God, then you have to be reminded of the fact that the only way you can experience that is through Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but through me. You want a relationship with God? You have to have it through Jesus Christ. That's why he came into this world. And the book of Acts tells us in 4.12 that there is no one else other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. How is Jesus the only way to God? He is the mediator who went to the cross, took on our sins, died in our place. And in doing so, as perfectly a God and perfectly man... He reached up to heaven, to the glories of heaven. He reached down to earth, to the lowest person in society, and he joined hands with them. And in doing so, he shouted, Tetelestai, it is finished. And he did the redeeming work that God sent him to do on the cross so that that relationship could be established between a holy and righteous God and sinful mankind. You desire intimacy with God, it is found only in Jesus Christ. But you can have it. But it's found only in Jesus Christ. Then the second truth that I would say to you today is this. You can enhance your connection with God by communicating daily with Jesus. That's how you develop that intimacy with God. It's like in a marriage relationship or it's even like in a friendship relationship. The more that you invest into that relationship, the more intimate that relationship becomes, right? Uh, your relationship is deeper. You move it from a, a superficial level to where you move it to a deeper heartfelt level. And see, that's an ultimate thing about our growth in spiritual disciplines becoming more like Jesus because there's not a better picture of having intimacy with God than the relationship that Jesus Christ had with God the Father. That's why he suffered so much agony on the cross. It's when that wonderful relationship was broken. The moment that Jesus became sin, taking sin on his body in his life, our sin that we should have died for, that he became sin on our behalf, the scriptures tell us. And that wonderful intimacy with God was broken for the first time ever in the eternity of his existence. He died in our place as a mediator to go between us and God. And what that means for us today is that he is the one who says to God, I died for this one. I died for him. And I stood as a mediator for him. And we're declared righteous then in the sight of God. And so we enhance our connection with God by communicating daily with Jesus. 
And we do so because he is the mediator and the one who enables us to have that relationship with God. The Apostle Peter admonishes us in 2 Peter 3.18, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to suggest to you, and this should be nothing new to you, but I just want to suggest to you, remind you once again, that there are two great spiritual disciplines you need to practice every day in your life if you want to grow in intimacy with God, if you want to become more mature in your faith. Number one, you need to spend time in the Word of God every day. You need to spend time in the Word of God every day. Every day you need to get into the Word of God. You need to have a plan for reading. I don't know whether you've been challenged this year, you're reading through the Bible on a, on a one-year plan. There are many different ones of those. I don't know whether you're doing uh, maybe the F-260 plan. That's what Cookie and I are doing together. We're reading through that together. I don't know how you're doing it, if you're doing it book by book. But somehow, you need to be in the Word every day. As I was sitting at my desk in my study at home and doing the preparation for this message, and I got to this part about being in the Word of God, I just did a quick summary looking around my desk and surrounding my desk, starting from my left here with devotional material and a Bible here and going through the research Bibles and study Bibles all the way over to my last devotional Bible over here and a New Testament book, of, of, I mean an Old Testament book just of Proverbs only because I read one chapter a day and that. I counted that I had 15 Bibles on that desk just surrounding my computer. Now, I don't use every one of them every day, but I would imagine in a month or six weeks or so, I would refer to all of those in some kind of way. I've got some Bibles that have four different translations in them. I've got a New Testament that's got seven different translations in them. I like to lay them side by side and see what they have to say. But you see, it wouldn't matter whether I had 15 or 50 Bibles surrounding me as I sit at my desk. None of them would do me any good if I don't open them and get into them and read them and study them. And the same thing is true with you. I don't care how many Bibles you have. I don't care what translation you use. Just use it. It won't do you any good sitting there gathering dust. Statistics still tell us that the Bible is the number one selling book. But at the same time, it's the least read and applied book. So in these spiritual disciplines, and that's what we're talking about in this series, as we grow intimately with God today, the first thing you do is you get into the Word of God. Make it a part of your life. Get into a life group, whether you're meeting in person or whether you're meeting by Zoom. Make sure you're in a life group for connection for that. And the second thing I would suggest to you is, and this is a simple elementary part of our relationship with God, and that is spend time every day with God in prayer. At least begin in the morning your time with God in prayer. The Bible gives us an example of Jesus in Mark 135 that says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, if Jesus came as God in the flesh, and he had that need in his life, to go spend time with God the Father every morning in prayer, then you and I certainly are no different than that. 
You want to grow in intimacy with God? Spend time with him in prayer. And that means you just don't go to him with a list of wants, giving him a laundry list of all the things that you need in your life and all the things that are concerning you. Yes, he wants to hear those. He wants you to verbalize those. But he already knows all those things, right? What he does want you to do, though, is he wants you to come in for you to tell him your father as you draw near to him. The way the anthem uh, moved us today talking about that, drawing near to God in intimacy. He wants you to hear your expressions of love for him. He wants to hear your deep sense of gratitude for what he has done in your life. At the same time, he wants you to confess any sin that you have in your life. And then he wants you to be still and quiet so that he can get the last word. Because he just might have something to say to you tomorrow morning. So very simply, if you want to grow in your intimacy with God, it's elementary. Spend time in the word of God and spend time in prayer with God. Now, I'm going to come to the third point that might be a little bit confusing to you. But here's what I'm going to say. Enjoy your connection with God by acknowledging Jesus completely. Enjoy your connection with God by acknowledging Jesus completely. Here's the reason I I make that as a third point. I fear that too many people simply endure a religion rather than enjoy a relationship with God. That's why this teaching and this sermon on intimacy with God is so very, very important. You want intimacy with God. God wants intimacy with you. You need to enjoy that relationship and not just endure a religion. Now, we as Baptists, we don't have formal creeds by which we go. You know, sometimes we might recite the glory patra. Sometimes we might sing the doxology and those things get the closest to us that we might have as Baptists. But you might be familiar through church history with something called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And it asks the question, what is the chief end of man? And then it answers that question by saying, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. See, we would understand rightfully that we're supposed to glorify God. But somehow I think we've forgotten about the part that teaches us that we're supposed to enjoy God. Are you really enjoying your relationship with God? Or do you see him as some kind of stern, heavenly father who's ready to slap your wrist at any moment, at any time, and you live in fear of him? And you might have had a bad fatherly image in life that creates that image about God in your mind. But you have to come to understand that this God in heaven who loves you is the perfect heavenly father, and he loves you so much that he wants you to enjoy that relationship with him. Now, haven't you found it to be true in your marriage, if you're married, that the, the deeper your level of intimacy, the more you enjoy your marriage? 
You know, with, uh, we, we men have a tendency to say, happy wife, happy life, right? But it works both ways. The more that we invest in that relationship, the deeper that level of intimacy grows, the more we enjoy our marriage relationship, and that's what it should be. The more you invest in a friendship, the deeper you grow in that level of friendship. And the deeper the level of intimacy with that friendship means the more you enjoy that friendship. Take that same effort then and put it into your relationship with God. Don't just endure a religion, but have a relationship with God where you know that you're supposed to glorify God, but also enjoy Him forever. And I think when you enjoy God the way he intends for you to enjoy him in a loving, wonderful relationship, knowing that your sins are forgiven, you've got God's wisdom and guidance and grace being imparted into your life every day, then you're going to be more joyful and enjoying that relationship with him as you glorify God the Father. So how do we go about doing that and doing what I suggested by acknowledging Jesus as your Lord? We've already talked about you begin in the relationship with God by accepting Jesus as your Savior. But you have to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ if you really want to enjoy your relationship with God. Because that will lead you to be obedient in every aspect of your life in your relationship with God. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, you have to understand that before Jesus becomes Savior, Jesus is already Lord. He is already Lord. That's the concern I have about about society today and our culture today and, and, and church life today and, and believers today. And that's why I like this emphasis on the spiritual disciplines in our life because I think that so many people today have the idea that you can have faith without repentance, justification without sanctification, heaven with Christ in the next world without obedience to Christ in this world. And it's not possible. It's not possible because you have to have Jesus as Lord in your life. See, that is precisely how many people come to think about Christianity. I'll accept Christ as Savior. It's by salvation. I want that. Yeah, I want that. I want to be saved from my sins. I want to escape hell, and I want to live in heaven forever. I accept the Savior part of Jesus. But I want to be the master of my life. I want to make the decisions about how I spend my time, my money, how I invest my life, how often I go to church, what I do with my spiritual gifts. I want to be in charge of that. And that is not acknowledging Jesus in every area of your life. That is not allowing Jesus to be Lord of your life. You have to remember that the Bible teaches us that Jesus is first Lord and then he is Savior. Give you an example. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, the shepherd hear the glorious good news about the birth of Jesus Christ. And what was the announcement to them? The angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, 
that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He is Lord before he is Savior. In the early Christian hymn of celebrating the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what do we miss in our society and culture today from the early believers in the New Testament? Let me share some thoughts with you. First, these New Testament believers grasp the fact that Christ is Savior because he is Lord. How is Christ able to save us from our sins? It's because he is Lord and he is more powerful than our sins. He has authority over all of our enemies. He's able to deliver us from sin because of his power. He's able to lead us safely through death because he has triumphed over the grave. In our family today, we mark the fact that this day, February 7th, a year ago, was the day that Cookie's father died and went to the glory of heaven. And so we've been communicating and talking about his life And celebrating his life as we did a year ago. And we do so with the strong and full assurance of the fact that he is in heaven today. Enjoying the glories of heaven and the presence of God for all eternity. Simply because he trusted in in God through Jesus Christ as both his Savior and his Lord. One of the sayings that people had was that he would say that he was a man of faith. Not but much but enough. He had the saving faith, but he also allowed Jesus Christ to be Lord of his life. You read in the New Testament, and that's how these early believers knew that Jesus could be Savior. It was because he was Lord, and he had power over everything that could destroy our life. The second thing that New Testament believers grasped was that our highest good is to be wholly owned by the Son of God, to be totally owned by the Son of God. When we say Jesus Christ is our Lord, that means that we are totally owned by him. And when we belong to Christ, that means that we are twice his. He made us, he created us, and then he redeemed us as he died for us on the cross as the mediator between man and God. And in doing so, he lays claim then to your obedience, to your energy, to your time, to your spiritual gifts, to your money. Because he is Lord. He demands that. He demands that by saying, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And he goes on to say, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. You see, it's only when you acknowledge Jesus completely in your life as Lord. And you lose your life in him that you find your life for all eternity. 
And I think the third thing that New Testament believers grasped was that if belonging to Christ is your highest good, then being his servant is your greatest joy. You read through the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, and he always identifies himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. A doulos, the lowest level of slave, that he was a servant and a slave for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he had allowed Jesus to be both Lord and Savior in his life. So what would it be like in our life to acknowledge Jesus completely and live under his lordship? Well, I did some reading this weekend, and Timothy Keller had an apt illustration, I thought, for that. He calls the lordship of Jesus in in our life a a life quake. And he talked about the fact that when a heavy truck goes over a small bridge, then there's a bridge quake. And if you walk out on on a sheet of ice that's not completely strong enough and thick enough to support you, then there is, uh, there is an ice quake. But when Christ comes into your life as Lord, then there is a life quake. And that means that you cannot hold any area in your life that is non-negotiable. Everything in your life has to be openly given to God because that permeates everything in your life. J.I. Packer once said, The repentance that Christ requires of his people consists in a settled refusal to set any limitation the claims which he may make on their lives. Now you see, Christ might come into your life and turn everything upside down, topsy-turvy. Or he might come into your life and just make a few minor adjustments. But you have to give him the right to come in with everything being given over to him. There are no no negotiations with him. Everything, everything has to be open and given to Christ so that you can enjoy your relationship with him as Lord. Now, wrap this up. God wants us to experience intimacy with him. And I think deep down, every one of us wants to do that. But sometimes we're afraid of that. Sometimes we're hesitant to do it. Sometimes we're lazy in that. You know, we, we live in an age of entitlement. We live in an age of everything coming to us so quickly. We live in an age of instant information. And we want the same thing to be true in our relationship with God. Let me tell you from this. God wants a relationship that's real and personable with you. He wants that intimacy in your relationship. But you have to invest your life, you have to invest your time in the spiritual disciplines, at least of Bible study and prayer. And when you do those two things, you will grow in all the other areas of grace that God brings into your life. And you will experience that intimacy with God that he wants and that I think that you crave in your life. Let's pray for it. Father God, we thank you today that you have shown us from the beginning of time, that you want a a deep and abiding relationship with us. Thank you for the scriptures today that indicate how we can have that relationship through Christ, not just as Savior, but as Lord. And help us, Father, to put into practice the spiritual disciplines we know that we should do so that we can deepen that relationship with you, grow in that intimacy with you,
and experience the wonderful joy of being your servant and giving everything that we are to you for your glory and enjoying you forever. Through Christ our Lord, I pray that we might all experience this forever and ever. Amen.